one day he challenged me and he said, listen, I want you to help our 477 store directors be great. But listen, I don't want you to go and teach them about engagement like they don't need like a history lesson, but I want you to teach them how to be engaging. And as I've navigated through various organizations, what I realized is that most organizations have the same challenges around manager performance. Don't conduct your analysis in isolation because data is so incredibly powerful. Not defending just the tribe, but defending the organization. Those creative people that you really want to keep empowered, keep excited, keep motivated, keep thinking. A good experience pays dividends down the line. Stereotypes tend to break down in proximity. Welcome to We're Only Human, a podcast about human resources, business, technology, and the workplace. My name is Ben Eubanks, your host, and I'm so glad you're here. And with that great quote, you get a little insight into what to expect for the death for today's episode of We Are Only Human. And this is actually a little bit of a milestone. We're hitting 150 episodes. The podcast has been going for more than six years now, and it has been such an honor to serve and support each and every one of you who listens in on a regular basis. Uh, occasionally, I see the podcast included in roundups and lists where people are sharing some of their favorite shows. If you enjoy the episodes here, if you enjoy the conversations, if you enjoy the insights, please do the same. Share this with someone else. The majority of our listeners come from people who are sharing this openly because they have found value in it. I'm thankful for the chance to share research, to share amazing conversations like the ones you're going to hear today and other things with you. And I look forward to doing it in the future as well. Thank you so much for joining me for this 150th episode of We're Only Human. Enjoy today's conversation with Camaria Scott. She is a brilliant woman. Lots of insights into how we can enable our managers to be more capable and more valuable and contributing members to the organization, as well as how we can support them and stop overloading them, overburdening them, and making it feel like it's a no-win scenario on their part. Just a great, great discussion. Can't wait to learn alongside you as we hear from Camaria Scott. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to We Are Only Human. I am Ben Eubanks, your host. I'm really glad you're here with us. And I'm looking forward to such an incredible conversation. So I've had the chance over the last month or so, I had a chance to meet this individual in a, at a virtual event, heard her speak, and was on fire to, to come back together and chat more about some of the things she was sharing. Because one of the areas I've been focusing heavily on, as far as research is focusing on, is manager enablement. How do we help them be the great leaders they want to be oftentimes? And there are structural things, there are training things, there are right capability things that are preventing them from that. And so I'm so excited to dive into those kind of things in the conversation today with Kamaria Scott. Kamaria, welcome. So glad to have you, my friend. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Absolutely. You sound so sweet and kind, but I know in a minute, you're going to have everybody out there fired up when you start talking about some of these things because you are, you're so passionate about doing it well. So I'm so glad you're here. Before we get into some of the good stuff, would you take a minute and tell the audience a little more about who you are and what you do, please? Absolutely. Again, my name is Kamaria Scott. I work with Accenture. I've been there for about a year. And really the work that I do with them is global employee experience transformation. And when I took a look back, I realized that I've actually been doing this type of work for most of my career with my primary focal point being managers and helping them to lead engaged and high-performing teams. Funny thing is I actually started my career in healthcare and I spent several years designing and developing and facilitating leadership development training and also helping managers to interpret their employee engagement results. And then from there, I wandered into a large grocery store chain that had about 47,000 employees. And 
one of the leaders that I supported was just so passionate about the guest experience, and he believed that it was directly tied to the employee experience. So one day he challenged me and he said, listen, I want you to help our 477 store directors be great. But listen, I don't want you to go and teach them about engagement, like they don't need like a history lesson, but I want you to teach them how to be engaging. And so with that directive, I combined my background in IO psychology and learning and leadership and culture and change to begin crafting this approach to creating a culture of great leaders. And as I've navigated away from that role through various other organizations in financial services and technology and government, what I realized is that most organizations have the same challenges around manager performance. And so this has allowed me to hone my approach through a variety of different industries and really start to solve for how do we create great people leaders. So one of the things I love about HR is it's like Baskin Robbins or 31 Flavors, right? You can go any possible direction and the work that we yeah. get to do. What do you think drew you to this specifically? Any idea? Because you said even early on when it wasn't really, I don't know if it's necessarily in your job description, you started leaning in that way, that direction already, and you continued to do that. There's like a gravitational pull drawing into it. What do you think appeals to you about that or draws you into that? So I, I think originally, and this is a funny story, I, I was, I've always been drawn to the employee experience. I've always been drawn to what is it like for employees day to day. And so I really started way back in the day when I was in, when I was graduating from high school. So I'm going to date myself a little bit. I worked for AOL. So back when the organization went from that hourly plan to that unlimited plan, and everyone always remembers that sort of, you've got mail. And so when I was working there, that, that summer that they went from the hourly plan to the unlimited plan was torture because like the demand for that service was phenomenal. And then those of us that worked in the little call center, we were just taking calls day in, day out. And it was just a grueling experience, but the organization had this way of making us feel like we were all in it together. So some of those cheesy things that you would think of the comfort cart cones for help come as you are, but there was this really the sense of we, that even though we were struggling, we all immensely enjoyed it. And I think that formed my philosophy about work which is that we have to do it. We spend a tremendous amount of our time working, but it should be somewhat of a pleasurable experience. And so as I started to really focus on employee engagement, that was really my first love. But then as I went on to realize that one of the key factors in an employee's engagement is their people leader, just because of proximity, just because of this is the person that's really in charge of your day-to-day. And so by navigating through that, I ended up really focusing on people leaders because they really have the power to influence that day-to-day experience of employees. That's a great, that's a really, I love the story. Go back, date yourself. That's fine. I remember my, we heard a sound effect recently somewhere and it was the sound of dial up the modem. Yes. And my kids were like, <laughs> What's what, is, that? what is that sound? This is something breaking. No, that was the sound of comfort for a long yes. time, buddy. Yes. Oh, goodness. Okay. We're talking about this people leader experience and what that looks like. And I know you have a model of some key things in it. And so I'd love to just walk through that with you and pull out each of those big themes. Again, I got the, I got the joy of hearing you share these things from the virtual stage. And so for the audience here, we get the benefit of unpacking them a little more deeply here and having a little more dialogue around it. So the first part of that is perspective, right? So talk about that and what that means. Yes. 
So I think, and I want to take a quick step back because I think when it comes to developing people leaders and our efforts to create better people leaders, I think we've really leaned very heavily into training. We've been invested, it's a multi-billion dollar business to basically send everybody to training. And that's been how they say, when you're a hammer, everything is a nail. That's really been our hammer for many years. And when I was thinking about like, why doesn't this work and kind of the emphasis of this sort of model, it's because I would get brought in after we've designed this training class. And then someone would say, well, okay, Camaria, evaluate it. And I would be like, against what? Or like, how do you put a bow on the data? Like, what do you want me to, what would you like to know? And I think part of that has been, we throw training at it and we give people these plethora of skills or things they're supposed to do, but we don't help them contextualize it. So when I started thinking about then how do we get there, I think that the sort of model of perspective, practice, and community really came from how do we create this shared vision and understanding of what good people leadership looks like within an organization. And so that really came from, let's look at our data. Let's look at our employee engagement survey results. Let's listen to our people and let's start really identifying what are some of the key behaviors in leadership and people leadership that truly make the difference for employees? And then how do we take that and we use this as a model for what we expect to be the culture of our leadership? So when we think about how we implement leadership behavior, right, in leadership development, it's typically I'm going to send everyone to class individually and then one by one, they're supposed to get better. But perspective is about this sort of shared understanding that this is how we do it here. That's the cultural aspect. And it's creating that visualization for people. So in the past, when I've done this, right, the model starts in the middle with kind of what the fundamental core tenant is. And then as we take kind of those behaviors that you get from your employee engagement survey results or conversations, you start to really hone those down into sort of actionable statements, like share your vision, champion collaboration, just the really high level things that detail what we mean that we expect of the behaviors. Once you're able to do that, then what you're able to do then is to start driving and coaching to those behaviors and reinforcing those behaviors. So I love when I talk to a people leader and I say to them, how exactly are you celebrating success on your team? And sometimes they can tell me and sometimes they can't, but if they can't, then I say, perhaps we need to think about how you might do that. So When you introduce perspective, what you're really driving is evidence-based leadership, right? You are creating this sort of model that you would like for them to implement. And then you're giving them the ability to bring that to life in their own way. When you're doing that, you're starting to drive consistency in their behaviors. You're starting to then help them see how close or how far they are from being the manager that you would want them to be because the extent to which they have these behaviors implemented in their personal leadership then becomes their measure of success. And now you're giving them practical, tangible things that you're expecting of them. So it's not just go off and be great, because right now when we talk about good people leaders, it's very nebulous what we mean. So two things occurred to me in there. Number one, there's a great book I read years ago called The Myth of Fit. Oh, this leader either fits or they don't. And many times we as organizations don't define what that what success looks like for those leaders. And so if whether they fit or don't is up to whether they can navigate whatever maze we've laid in front of them. Yes. Oh goodness, great. They made it to the other end. They must be a great leader. You no, know, there are some great ones that we set up for failure because we didn't establish some of the things you're talking about here. So that book was the myth of fit. I had their author on a couple of years ago on the podcast and it was a great yes. conversation because so many leaders turn over in that first year because of things that are many times outside of their control. One of the things I wanted to touch on though is you talked about that 
coming back to that leader, that example you just gave with, oh, maybe you should think about some ways to, to accomplish that goal. It's how to elevate their stories, how to celebrate their successes. And I love that because that's not finger pointing. It's not punitive. It's not a, hey, you're a failure. Goodness gracious. I can't, what do you mean you haven't? It's right. none of those things. It's, hey, you know what? This is the process. It's a pro- Every process can be improved. So it's just, mm-hmm. let's look at this through continuous process improvement, that lens, instead of saying you have failed in some way as a manager, as a leader. And so you've, I've, you shared it that way. And I pull, want to pull that out for the audience because the way you approach that can either make that, turn that thing from a, they didn't do it right, but next time they're going to do it incredibly well and it's going to really sink in or next time around they're going to do it but they're going to do it bitterly because how yeah. Maria told them they stink at it or something like well, that and there's two things to really to tack on to what you're saying because one is I think when you work in learning development one thing you do realize is that people are always coming to you from a place of vulnerability because they don't go to training because they already know how to do it. that's just that's not why we do that and so even when you think about developing people leaders and getting them to not only learn something new but do something new You have to come at it from a place of they're going to be vulnerable because they've never tried it before because it's their first time. I think one time I was working within an organization and really serving as a performance consultant and they brought me in because they were like, we, our managers are not having difficult conversations. And this and this are happening as a result of that. And after a little bit of sleuthing and talking and listening, I came back to them and I said, I said, listen, they're not having any conversations. And this notion that they would jump into the difficult ones first is a bit much. They're not going to do that. So how do we then get them comfortable with just having conversations in the routine of talking to people? And so then when they need to have a difficult ones, it's a little bit easier. But the application of that, the ability to say, we want them to do something different and we have to treat this like it's a change process and we have to like honestly guide them to it is something that we often don't do. And I think the other part of that is when I think about the punitive way we talk and what really creates passion for me around this is when I see on LinkedIn, these dichotomous conversations around managers that it's like good managers do this and bad managers do that as if it's a sort of black and white thing. And it's not. Some people are emerging as leaders. Some people are developing. Some people experience and time has helped them to become better people leaders but it's not necessarily a good or bad. And I think when you treat it in a way that it is something that people can develop into and that they can, and they can learn over time and that we can help them with that transition, then you can have a different conversation that doesn't browbeat them into being better, but enables them to be better. And I think that's the major focal point is how do we enable people to be better instead of shaming them into it? The, even the term you use this first one, you saw it a perspective, right? The, the, the way I see that is I'm standing here. I see it on the horizon. Like that's the leader I want to be. Now I'm here, but I, I can see where I want to be, right? And whatever path you put in front of me, whatever, whatever help you give me to get there, to convey me from this point to that point, right? that's all the stuff you're talking about. And it's yeah. that's a very simple metaphor for it. But that says, hey, you can get there. If you can see it, you can, there's like a, I feel like a, encouraging poster. If you can see it, you can achieve it. If you you can see it, you can be it. And I think that's, again, I think the other part of this, and I, gosh, I am so passionate about this because I've done this in so many organizations. We can't tell that you're passionate, by the way. (laughs) Some of the things people miss is like tone, right? And so even in developing out this sort of vision of what does great look like here? And then when you start thinking about what are all the pieces and parts that get people there? 
the tone is in light and positive and yes, we can. And I'll say that in organizations that sometimes has been a struggle in terms of let's, let's talk to people who are not doing it first, or let's send the people like that are as a punishment. And that's not what we're trying to do here. We're not trying to, again, shame people or make them feel terrible that they're not there. Because the other thing I always want to help people also understand is that there is a complexity to people leadership. You are leading humans. You're not leading objects. And so for a people leader to create a really good one, you really have to give them the confidence that they can navigate what's coming toward them, that they can get to the other side. And so there does need to be this, yes, you can, cheerleading, because they are in the middle of so much. And it's not always like the fun, easy things. And so again, getting people to be better or different has to have the appropriate tone. It has to have be encouraging and not like punitive. So that the second piece of this model that you talk about is the practice piece of this, right? And that the training is a big part of that. So let's perfect segue. Let's lean into that a little bit talk about those pieces of it and what that looks like, because I'll, I'll give you a quick story that will make you cringe. I probably, the, the audience has probably heard me tell this story before, but the first HR job that I ever had, they said, Hey, you're coming in right in time. We're about to hold our supervisor training. We do annually. Great. Awesome. Never been to anything like that. Can't wait to sit through that. <laughs> we proceeded to sit through five days of videos telling us all the bad things that can happen if we did any of these. If you do this, bad stuff happens. Oh, by the way, don't do this either because here's the, the repercussions. And so we finished this five days and they're like, all right, you're all ready to go. Maybe I missed something, but when are we going to tell them what they should do? Right? When are we going to tell them what they should aspire to? It was all this no, don't. And that was all. And I get the importance of the compliance piece, making sure we're being, we're being above board and we're not discriminating or anything else as leaders. But most of the time, leaders, that's the minimum of the, or the, the maximum they get, not the minimum mm-hmm. they get. So mm-hmm. I'd love to hear from you some of the, the best practices, if you want to call it that, around yeah. practice so we can hear how to weave that in. Yeah, absolutely. So I think one of the things that we learned during the pandemic was that sort of Managers struggle doing some of the relationship things virtually. And then as I am in various sort of communications and network circles, as we start talking about some of the challenges, you realize that like managers probably struggled a little bit before the pandemic (laughs) with some of the things that, that they were, that they really needed to do. And part of that struggle, I think has been, and I say that again, as somebody who has spent most of her career in leadership development the way that we train managers. So there's, there's, and we've gone from to your example, two and three days of leadership training. So I used to do people essentials or something like essentials of people management. Right. And it was like three days of all of these things. They'd have these binders that we would create. And again, I feel like I'm dating myself. If anybody uh, remembers all the training binders that hey, we put together. For- everybody listening probably has a binder on their shelf right now. Yes. From yes. that training from 1996 that- Or in the they, trunk of their car. Because yeah. I would see people in the hallway and I'd randomly say, where's your binder? And they'd be like, it's in my car. Because as soon as they left, that's where it would stay. I think, <laughs> And I think, but part of that was the struggle with that became, we packed, I think, eight to 10 topics over a three-day period and then expected them to make sense of what to do with those eight to 10 topics once they got back to their work environments. And what we found, what I believed and tested was- they get decision paralysis. And so again, if you've ever read Switch, you know, how to change when change is hard by Chip and Dan Heath, they talk about this idea of decision paralysis, which basically means we throw all this training at people and then we're like, go be great. But we've not done anything that helps them really test it back in the real world. And so in the notion of let's shrink this change 
And let's also give them confidence in in what they can do. I think one of the principles is taking really the behavioral essentials that you were trying to train for or that you want them to do. If, you know, your, if your survey results say that the focal point should be career development and you need for them to help their employees start the journey then training really should be specifically, how can you help them have to call a go and grow conversation that's exploratory? How can you let them practice it? How can you give them the conversation template? And then how can you create and structure the training so that they have the opportunity to learn that specific thing you're asking of them and that safe space, but then go out there in the real world and try it. So by design, any strong learning program should have that don't just practice it here while we're sitting here together on this virtual call, but go out and try it with someone on your team and then come back and let's talk about it. So I like to call that learn, do, reflect. But essentially, instead of doing that sort of three-day week, I strongly believe in a more cohort approach where they're taking piece by piece out into the real world. Because what you're doing over time is one you're giving them a foundation to start off with and a tool that they can use and a philosophy. They're just, okay, I can do this one little thing. And change really does start with one little thing. And so I'll tell you in this one example, what was really amazing was that the one little thing we asked them to do was to go out into the world and to have, they were actually motivation conversations with their teams to just talk to them about like, what are some of the things that, 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 drive your performance, what, what kind of things just are your values, but just have these conversations. And it was interesting because like the next time we came back to the session, uh, I was talking with one of the managers and she goes, I was having the conversation with my team. One of the team members got up and left the room. And then she walked back in and she was like, who are you? And what have you done with my manager? And it was like the most amazing thing, right? Because just giving them the opportunity, right? Setting them up for success with here are your tools, here's your resources, here's your support. Go out and try this one little thing. So training the safe spaces and the practice of the safe space inside of a training, but the safe space then goes over to the real world with all their tools and resources support. And then when they have that positive experience, What you're doing is one, you're giving them that positive reinforcement that they can go off and have these conversations that are sometimes difficult or do these specific actions that they feel unsure about. And then you're allowing them to come back and coach about it, talk about it with their peers and really just have this easy spiral that once they do it once, they can do it again. And so when we think about even that, that, that practice, the whole point of practice is so you can go be great later, right? Like football teams don't practice all week and then sit around and eat chips on Sunday. They <laughs> practice and they take the field. So that's what you want people to do. So, you know, being able to have them practice those things. I'll give you another quick example. In one of the weeks we had them practicing feedback conversations and we had people that were assigned to, for lack of a better term, a struggling performer conversation. Even those people came back and said, while it was difficult, like people thanked me at the end for taking time to have this very thoughtful conversation with them. So making sure that you are structuring the training to give them the support they need to go out and tactically do the thing is really important. And then giving them the opportunity to be coached through it and to have peer support through it is really important because you're building efficacy for them to be better people leaders. Oh my goodness. One of the things... Last time I talked to you and prep for this, right, was weeks and weeks ago. And so I didn't have this at the time, but we've just finished a study and look, we're looking really 
I'm looking very closely at that <laughs> manager relationship and how an employee feels about their company versus how they feel about their people leader. And there's all kinds of things that I'm seeing in there that tie back to the score that person gives on how much they feel like they belong at that company. And I know that doesn't surprise you at all, right? But there's so many good call outs as you're talking through this, I'm thinking, oh yeah, we see that play out in the data over and mm -hmm. over again about how people feel and whether this works and all those kind of things. So I thought that was kind of a fun, fun moment there that you're like, yep, I've got all my validations done. I'm good to go because <laughs> this is what's happening. One term you use there, I've never heard anyone say it before, was efficacy spiral. And <laughs> yes. listen, that efficacy is not used in the business context very often. And so yeah. when I speak on this, I actually use that term. I talk about the efficacy of care from a leadership perspective. And so I'm like, this is a medical thing we usually talk about. Does this treatment work? Does, if, is there a high efficacy of this treatment? And so I'll talk about the treatment of caring for your people as a manager and whether that has a high efficacy or not. So when you use that, I was like, that's fine because you've never heard me really talk about that, but <laughs> that was a really fun, fun connection there. That's neat. It is. It's my, it's my, and I think, you know, where it's, where, like where we have sometimes where we miss the boat is managers are people and they go through, I think efficacy, because I always talk about like, they have to believe they can do it before they actually do it right? They've got to believe they can be better people leaders before they actually get there. And yeah, so that's one of my favorite kind of terms to talk through because, and even as we talked about the philosophy of making sure that the tone is positive, positive I think we, we just, we miss that part of helping people be better. There is that encouragement, that motivation that like get them to believe they can do it and to want to do it. And that's why I think about when I hear that feedback from people about, oh my goodness, my team is different. It worked out. I'm like, oh, that's that efficacy and happening in place. <laughs> Here we go. Ta-da. Oh, goodness. Um, so you also talked about a minute ago, you talked about the importance of a cohort, right? Having people yes. together, especially when it comes to these leaders, because it can be a little bit unsettling for a first-timer leader to not realize or not be aware of that transition that happens that suddenly you're not you're not in the group anymore right now you're outside the group for whatever reason you're in a different group but even then it can feel separate and so yeah. community is the third part of this model you're talking about I thought that was a good way to lead us into that one I'd love to hear from you what community yeah. is when it comes to these leaders and how that plays into helping us enable them to be better yeah. So there's a two-pronged approach to community. And again, I think so much of this, I've been really fortunate to support, to coach, to work with managers for a very long time. And I personally have been a people leader and manager myself. So it's like that, that commercial, I'm not only haircut president, I'm also a member, right? I'm not only like an advocate for other people as managers and people leaders, but I'm one as well. And so one of the things that, you know, I can tell you is that it can be a lonely experience because you have a set of stressors. You have a unique set of things that you can't discuss with your team. There's, you can't discuss with them when layoffs are coming. You can't discuss with them when you're having a performance issue with someone or else. There's just things you can, you, that you as a people leader have to keep to yourself. And in, in talking with leaders, I think one of the things that we heard tremendously and with talking with HR partners is that a lot of times things get escalated over to HR because there's no one else to talk to. I have to talk to my HRBP about this because I don't have anyone to bounce an idea off of or talk through this challenge with. And sometimes what they don't need, what managers don't need or want, and this has been conveyed to me several times, is we don't need another training. We've already done the training. What now? And I think the reason why I'm going to wind this up is that 
so much of leading people is subjective decision-making. So when we think about going through the pandemic and everyone being like, now we all work at home. There's no book for that. There's no training for that. We are in it. And the day-to-day life of a people leader is very much that. It is this subjective decision-making around policies, procedures, and how work gets done. <clears throat> and the, the community piece is ensuring that people leaders have a network that is supportive, where they can go and ask questions, they can share their success stories, they can work through challenges together. Because quite often in implementing these types of programs that help build better people leaders, you'll hear them realize that oh, you're having that problem? I am having that problem. And this will be two different managers on two different parts of the organization and two different parts of the world. But when they're like, I had that challenge or that happened to me, then they're able to start really peer coaching and they're able to start feeling like they are supported, honestly, by the organization if the organization creates this network. So I'll tell you, again, going back to the early in the pandemic, that's exactly what happened for us. In an organization where it's at, we were really trying to help our managers navigate this new situation. And again, they were just, what we don't need is training. And so we could, we created community conversations and this was really where we would take a single conversation and we would say, okay, how do I lead with empathy, but also we have deliverables and I'm struggling with that because all of a sudden we're at home and people have their children at home. What do I do? So there wasn't like a hard and fast answer, but we brought them together to first we listened We listened for what were like three or four of the main challenges that we heard them say, right? We turned those into scenarios and then we put them into rooms. We taught the blue sky brainstorming and we were just like, listen, here's the scenario. If this is the scenario you want to go into, go to that one. If you have something more pressing, you can talk about that, but chat about it amongst yourself, brainstorm amongst yourself. And the idea is that every person walked away with something they could try with their team, something they could try to see if it worked with their team. Because again, we're all in this together, right? Going back to that sort of AOL, we're all in the boat with each other experience. And we found that that was so helpful to them. It was so helpful for them to just be able to talk it out. And so this notion of community is really, there should be an ongoing dialogue amongst your people leaders and organizations should create this space for them where they can talk through what's happening. And you can sprinkle in some HR people there too, just for listening for the red flags. And after evolution, we found that it worked better when you did have an HR person there to just because sometimes they just needed an offside question, but creating this space for them where they can talk through what's happening was just invaluable. And so I think that's a part of enabling them is enabling them with the problem solving. You called that community conversations. Mm-hmm. You branded that internally. Mm-hmm. I have a friend who did something they called their manager circles, right? Where they because I started out as a physical, we're going to sit together, we're going to chat before before the shift starts, and we're going to let everybody, all these leaders from across these different functions and everything else, speak about what they're dealing with. They found it was, as you were saying there, this incredible bond would be would form among them. Mm-hmm. Because yeah, I'm not managing people who are doing right this work on the manufacturing floor, and you're over there managing a bunch of accountants. But guess what? We still have this one common problem that allows us to come together yes. and talk about that. And we realize, number one, it's not just me. It's, there's something else here, possibly. Mm-hmm. You can also, someone else in the room, oh, by the way, that happened last year. And here's how I was able to take care of that. Yeah. Right? And so you get, or you get a rock star Camry in the mix. Is, oh, by the way, <laughs> here's a toolkit on how to make that happen. So I love the immediacy of that. Yes. It's so powerful because when someone brings, they have a felt need, they bring that right there to the forefront. Whatever comes after that from a training or like a guidance or a coaching perspective, 
is directly addressing something they care enough about to have brought up. Absolutely. Yeah. And that's the thing I think for organizations to realize is that you can, there's a variety of ways you can do this, right? Because Mm -hmm. we started this off with in pre-pandemic, when we started this off, we started off as table topics, right? Where like, we'd be like, all right, one o'clock. And we put different topics on different on the table and people could go whatever table they wanted to go to, which was like amazing. Right. But it was this notion of this is an hour to just, because again, sometimes things are just bubbling up, you have concerns, you have things that you're thinking about with your team, or maybe you just want to say, listen, I have somebody that needs to develop and I don't know how, what to give them. It's not always earth shattering, but it's just, I, someone on my team wants to grow. How do I help them grow? I don't know. And so someone will kick around ideas with you. Right. So I think just that sense of community to help people think through things and bounce off ideas is really helpful. Because again, even though like you might be a people leader and I might be a people leader, we're not on the same team. So there's really no, we're like two like ships passing in the night. So creating that sort of safe harbor for people, I think is super important. Safe harbor. I went with that ship metaphor really deep there. I caught that. (laughs) Do you have any examples? Do you recall any of the examples of those table topics? Just to give the audience some sense of here's, hey, if you're going to do this, here's three or four ideas that you can put out there just that are common challenges. I think you can do it in a couple of ways. So let's say like one of them literally could be like, we're getting ready to go into performance management season. Is there anything top of mind? So I think what, rather than give people topics, I think what I would ask them to do is if you have a community of managers, ask them what's top of mind. Ask them, like, what are some of the things they're struggling with? Ask them what some of their concerns are, because sometimes it's, it's, how do I implement this policy, right? So there could be like a policy table. Like, what are some of the things that you're struggling with? And so I think it's really creating that avenue to ask and listen to what they might want to talk about. So again, in, in, the, in this particular instance, I'm trying to think about what it was, I think learning was one of them. Like, how do I develop my team? Because again, as people leaders, we hold them accountable to people have to grow, right? You're supposed to be growing. Your team is supposed to be developing. And one of the common challenges that managers have is I honestly don't know what the avenues are for my team to grow. I don't, I, I'm, and they're very serious about this because, because you know, what's funny. Managers are people too, who are struggling with the same things. So just because you're this manager doesn't mean you're not struggling with your own development because you're trying to figure out your path forward and then you're trying to figure out somebody else's path forward. So like, how do I develop my team? What are some of the things other people are doing to develop their teams? That kind of thing. It could be around work distribution. It could be a number of topics, but I think it's just asking them what they're hearing from their people and then, then they can change it. I think that's a great suggestion there because you're going to get something more specific, more tailored, more focused on the things they care most about. And then whatever you come back to them with, it's, oh, that was me. That's my yeah. thing. And you're giving them anonymity too, right? Because I think, mm-hmm. so part of what worked really was like, we don't want people putting like their challenges on the interwebs, right? <laughs> that's not what we want. <laughs> but if we can pull and say, hey, what are some of the things that you're struggling with? Or what would you like to talk about? Or sometimes what would happen to be very honest with you is in the facilitation of these sessions and working very closely with people leaders, we hear them in conversation talking about some of their challenges. And so someone will say, this came up and I need to know how to handle this. So we started just listening to what are people telling us? And then we changed the names to protect the innocent because then we're like, okay, let's turn this into a scenario or a topic and let's feed it back to people. So again, that listening piece is really important and that funneling the, con- the conversation is really important. And I think that'll give people what they need in terms of like topics. Oh my goodness. 
I've gotten so many notes and ideas <laughs> from this. This has been so incredible. And even still, I feel like I'm like running out of time because I want to ask you a few I know. more things. I know. Oh, goodness. We'll have you come back. That's okay. At some point in the future, oh, we'll, I will we'll have absolutely a sequel. come back. Sequel. I will absolutely come back. One thing I did want to just sure. also share in the vein of community is the whole, like one of the benefits of building this community is that you do have this two-way communication with your people leaders. And so again, as I talk about being in sessions and like the, one of the other sort of benefits of doing it like in this longitudinal way, this cohort way is that they get comfortable talking to you. They get comfortable hearing your voice with you facilitating and guiding them. So they do feel more confident coming to you with challenges. And the reason why I say that is because when I talk about community, right, the second part of community is the organization as an entity being a part of people leaders communities and seeing that they have a duty of care for people leaders. And so when you start to hear similar struggles across the organization, when you start to hear themes, that's really an opportunity for organizations to start to ask themselves, like, how do we iron out some of these friction points? So if you hear people leaders, if you hear managers saying, hey, this process is broken, and enough people say the process is broken, how do you then start to maybe ideate to fix that process so they can be better people leaders? Um, Just one of the things that I think is really important is to just as much as you can, try to do a day in the life of, right? Try to create a persona around your people leaders because you would be surprised in order to do all the things that we're asking to be a good people leader, how much time it takes, the effort it takes, especially when people are also working managers. And so I say that to say that the sense of the duty of care for the manager is something that is not often spoken about, but in the sense of community, there is an important, there's an important need to view the organization or view managers as partners and not just like scapegoat for scapegoats for everything that goes wrong in an organization. You and I know that never happens, right? <laughs> we never. never point the fingers at the managers and say, well, they would just yeah. uh, have it's happening right now as we speak. We both know yes. this. Yes. Oh, goodness. So I know everyone's enjoyed this. If they want to connect with you or follow you, is LinkedIn the best way? What? How should they do that? Yeah, LinkedIn is the best way. Kamaria Scott, I think there's only three of us in the whole entire United States, but I am the one who focuses on leadership, culture, learning. So you'll be easy to find me. That's always the best way. Okay, perfect. I'll make sure I get that link to your profile into the show notes. So someone can click right over and find you there. Thank you again, my friend. You are a treasure. You're incredible. And I'm so thankful to have had the chance to learn alongside all the rest of the audience here in this conversation with you. This has been a pleasure for me as well. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. To everybody else out there, goodness, hope you took good notes. If you didn't, rewind, play it again. Hey, guess what? Play this and go have a conversation with one of your people leaders. How about that? We'll go put it into practice. Thank you all for hanging out with us on We Are Only Human, and we will catch you again next time. Thank you so much for joining me on the show today. I'm honored to have you as a listener. If you enjoyed this episode, please take 10 seconds to rate it at iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to your podcast. Also, if you know a friend that could benefit from today's conversation, please pass it their way. After all, a rising tide lifts all ships. To see show notes, sponsor information, and our full show archives, visit OnlyHumanShow.com.